Thank you so much, Anton Helen. Uh, I'm going to ask Nadine just to come and uh, share a little bit about ourselves. I think she does it better than I do because she, uh, you know, ladies always remember the detail. Um, <clears throat> and uh, this is Nadine. We've known one another for 45 years, but we've been married this October 43. Hi everyone, I just wanted to start by saying when I grow up, I want to be like Helen. She is just, you have to agree with me, the sweetest person and just incredible. I really admire you, Helen. Honestly, she's just a gem. She really is a gem in the kingdom. She's a gift to the body of Christ, honestly. You are as well, and but I'm zoning in here. I'm zoning in here. Moksham, um, I don't want to take up a lot of time, but... Um, you know, Ashley just said something yesterday that I just thought was so profound. And being here this morning, I just really realized it again, that you guys are a lung in the city that, that breathes in the toxic and breathes out the life of God, this whole community. And when Ant asked, greet everyone, I mean, we couldn't get you guys to keep quiet. It was like, you really are a community that's knitted together and... It's just amazing to see and to think that we come, and I was quite tender in worship because we've known, as Anne said, for 30 years of sang a song on his, or didn't sing, but wrote a song on one of his CD. Um, was it his CD then? Yes, it was. Shows you how long we've lived. But um, yeah, so I was just overwhelmed just that God has, that they were obedient to what God has called them to do, and there were people waiting on the other side of their obedience. And by coming to England, there were people waiting, and that this community of people are together, and that it's, it definitely counts in the community. It's just, it, it so overwhelmed me that I really think we're going to go back and encourage our elders, we've got nine couples on, on our eldership team, to encourage them again to just fan to flame this church planting, just to go and be a blessing in another nation. I really don't know if I should share the whole family story, so I don't think I'm going to. Why am I being disobedient to you? <laughs> We've got three kids. My oldest daughter leads a church with her husband, Daniel, in Dubai. They've been there about 12 years, and um, they're really doing well. We're very proud of them. And then Mark and Bianca lives in London. They've been there for about, or so, a long time, long time. And we've got two grandchildren in London and three in Dubai. And then Ashley and I had a pushover try and injury time. And that was our boy, Jordan. He is now 22. He graduated last year in a music degree, so we're very proud of him. And he works for the church, the church we lead now. We've got a studio, and he produces music and writes worship songs and kids' ministry songs. Yeah, so that's our family, and it's wonderful to be here. Everyone has been already, and so friendly and warm. So it's, been, it's just wonderful to be here. Thanks, babe. I couldn't have done it better. Thank you. <clears throat> Gentleman over there just tucking your shirt in, that's you. Would you could stand? I mean, I don't know your name, and I know this has been recorded, so um, <clears throat> I just feel that God has his hand on you, um, and while you have this morning been welcomed into family, I feel God's going to use you uh, to ground new people, new believers. I think there's a mantle of uh, um, discipleship just upon you. You're, you're a mentor. Um, I watched the interaction between your son, and God's raising your son up to be an influential 
man. Um, and, uh, you know, they say that apple doesn't fall far from the tree. <laughs> when I looked at the two of you, I just thought, my goodness, we've got twins here. <laughs> but uh, there's, there's a relationship there. And I, I just think the way that you, you're training your kid right now, um, I feel that's going to spill over to where God's going to begin to use you just to gather the new converts and to gather new people and to help them to embrace the culture of this family. Um, you know, the redemptive gifts that God has given to this congregation. When you read through the book of Revelations, you'll find that there's a letter written to seven churches. And every one of those churches are commended for what it was that they were doing well. But then they're also rebuked for what it was that they should be doing well, but they weren't. And uh, that would suggest that you always need people to keep the main thing the main thing. You don't want to go one degree off. You know, one degree off, you end up you know, a couple of hundred meters, maybe a few kilometers down the road. You don't see each other, you can't hear each other, so you, you develop your own little religion. <laughs> and that's never a good thing. You've got your own briefcase, your own cap, your own t-shirt, and you've got your own message. That's because you have no reference to the plumb line of truth. And I feel you're a man that's gonna hold new people, you're gonna hold believers to that plumb line of truth, and you're gonna help them get there. You're not just gonna tell them about the plumb line of truth, you're simply gonna show them the way. All right, so. Um, what you're doing with your boy is great, man. I, I really want to commend you. All right, something's going down there. God's given you a father's heart. He's given you his heart, uh, a heart of integrity, just to raise your boy to be the man that he should be. Well done. And I want to say this. He's always going to love his mom. Always. Cool, huh? <laughs> there was another guy. Uh, he wasn't a kid, so he wouldn't have gone out with kids ministry. He was wearing a cap. He was standing right over there on the side, young guy. Is he upstairs? I think you better go and fetch him if you can. All right. <clears throat> yeah, I felt during the worship that there was this, uh, uh, for a reason I went up to the library. Now I'm understanding why. Thanks for noticing it. <laughs> um, and I, I felt that there were books written into the future, but they were coming from this congregation. How many of you love theology? Just wave your hand at me. There are books in you. There's a collaboration of books in you. Because when it comes to the theology, it's never a good thing just to write your own thoughts. It's a very good thing to have those thoughts tested. And so that happens in conversation, that happens in collaboration, that happens when you sit with others that perhaps know a little more than you, but you're able to describe what it is that they know better than they can describe what it is that they know. And so I do see, I see books being written. How many of you love worship? How many of you are worship musicians? All right. There are books, there are songs. I just see writing. I see collaboration. People just... Together, working together on, on, on different projects. Um, how many of you like social justice? Yeah. I see books being written. I see papers being written. I see blogs, video blogs. Just people like yourselves getting together and just speaking together and deciding together what is solution for the world that we're living in right now. God's not calling you to be activists. He's calling you to be contributors to his purpose and to his plan and his design. How many of you know that Jesus was the very person that tore down racism? He was the one that introduced the great commandment. 
So those of you who love social justice, keep your hands raised, because I want to say this is specific for you, ma'am, and for you. Is that a sir or a ma'am there? <laughs> um, <clears throat> great commandment. It's not the great commission, it's the great commandment. Great commandment is that we were to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And then Jesus, just to emphasize the degree of loving and who it is that we should be loving when describing the neighbor, he went back and he said, all of this, the law and the Old Testament, all of this is actually just fulfilled in this one commandment in loving your neighbor. He didn't say love a certain kind of neighbor. And there's a great emphasis today on a certain kind of neighbor. And so everybody gets uncomfortable when the truth is spoken. But you see, as a church, we can't be neutral. We have to be truthful. And so what we do is we go to the scriptures and we see that at no point did Jesus ever say that we love a certain kind of neighbor. He said we love our neighbor. And so our neighbor clearly is going to look very different to us. And what he did was he went on to explain in that category what our neighbor was. It was a good Samaritan. And you never got a good Samaritan. Those two words were not kind of good friends as far as the Jewish people go. And so what we need to see is that Jesus did everything to break down, to break down racial barriers. He did everything. And what we've got is a cultural narrative that's present in the world today that's doing everything to build up those very things that Jesus broke down. It's uncomfortable to hear that, isn't it? But that's because you've been listening to the narrative and you haven't been listening to the word of God that we see is for us. And so those of you who are into social justice, embrace what the scripture teaches. Don't become an activist, rather become someone that wants to simply bring truth into the world because truth is what's going to set the communities in the world free. Is that all right? Now you've got all a little bit, of, I can feel the tension. Around. But that's good because that's truth. And truth is never, never comfortable. It's always going to be what pierces the heart and brings people to a place of healing. What about those of you who love business? Ladies and gentlemen, I feel God's raising up ladies in this congregation. We're the business folk. Put your hand up. This church is going to have an influence in business. It will. You can't live in a community like you do and driving around and hear who lives here. I just think, oh my goodness, that's why God has put you here for purpose. The world needs business-minded individuals. The world needs management. The world needs vision. And so that's what entrepreneurs do. They're able to live with the horizon before them all the time. And so God's wanting to raise up men and women of business acumen, and they're going to come from this congregation. God's going to help you. He's going to lead you, and you're going to be partnering with others to bring solution. And we can't look into the future and just think it's all dark and despairing, but in actual fact, God says, no, 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 that's why I've put the church there. That's why you're here. You have a footprint in this community, and it's going to be an influential footprint in the area of business. How many of you love children? Yeah, if you've got your own kids, hopefully you love them. <laughs> well, they need to be books written, children's stories. Yeah, just it's amazing where, what happens when the prophetic comes. It just lifts the lid, and you're able to see a future that maybe you didn't see. But as this is spoken, inside of you, something is triggered. Why? Because the Holy Spirit comes along, and he puts a seed in you that needs to germinate in a right space. And the right space is always going to be, interestingly enough, the local church. Because this is where you hear truth. This is where you hear the heart of God. And this is where you hear what's needed for what it is that you need to be writing into. So lift up your eyes and see what it is that God has for you. It's exciting, big things. 
I didn't plan that, but that all came out of the worship expression. And so I want to speak just briefly um, on, where is he? Is he here? He's run away. The guy with the cap. Dude. <clears throat> Come quickly. Do you have parents in the church? There. Parents in the church. Cool. Look at him standing on the platform right at where he should be. Yeah. That's cool. Do you like soccer? I feel crazy asking an English kid if you like soccer. You know? Do you? Casually. 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 I never played it properly. I don't enjoy it. I don't know. Not like, you know, like, pro, like try to. But yeah, casually I like soccer. <laughs> Where are your parents? <laughs> Ice hockey. All right. Wow, that's aggressive. Do you play that? You do? When I'm when I'm 18, right? Um, then I can get um, then I can actually join a proper club because then you're again playing against other adults, and obviously it's an aggressive sport, so you have to be insured. So you know, obviously, if something happens between an adult and me, and I'm not 12, yeah. <laughs> I'm 17. You know what I mean? So. I like playing basketball. I like sports. I don't know, man. <laughs> you know what, my friend? You're going to hold a microphone and you are always going to draw laughter because there is something about you that just draws people into what it is that you're saying. And God's gifted you. He's going to touch your lips with a living coal and you're a man who's going to bring revival. And I'll tell you why. It's because you're analytical. You're just not going to accept junk. You're going to always ask the questions, and you're going to ask why, and that's not wrong. Okay, I don't know if he's been like that growing up. Okay, just all the questions. But I want to tell you, God's going to deposit, and he's going to put the word of God in your heart. He's going to put it right there, and you're going to be a man who's going to understand scripture. You're going to be able to expound on the deep truths of God's word because you're analytical. All right? <clears throat> And I wouldn't tell you, don't ever despise your youth, because you're going to be on the platform sooner than you imagine. Okay? I love the fact that you just came and owned the space, man. Because <laughs> God's going to give you a word that's just going to be like gold dripping out of your mouth. In fact, I see fireballs coming out of you. You're going to set young people alight, because they're going to listen and they're going to say, I can receive from you. Okay? You're a cool dude. All right. Oh, man. Bless you, dude. Well done. Okay. Thank you. Forgiveness and the priority of connection. That's what I wanted to chat about just briefly. You know, connection to the body of Christ is a big deal, and I find it so interesting that this was stirring in my heart <laughs> over the last couple of days, and, and how you welcome folks into this particular body. And I have to say that the reason why we have church is because it's part of our reason for growth. Um, you cannot conform to the image of Christ if you are not connected and you're not committed into the body of Christ. Um, you are someone who doesn't represent the heart of Jesus if you're choosing to push away and to not to connect with the body of Christ. And so people often say, well, marriages don't work today. No, no, marriage does work. What doesn't work is the uncommitted people who are in marriage. And so when we talk about community, we're talking about relationship essentially. 
And so wherever you look through the scriptures, what you see is God's always encouraging relationship. And so he had this great intimacy with Adam and Eve. And then, of course, they chose to do what it was that they chose to do. And they found themselves in exile. But with that exile came guilt. It came fear. There was insecurity. There was frustration. There was anxiety. And so that's really what our world consists of even today. You look about you and that's what you're going to see. You're going to see fear. I mean, Jesus even said this. He said, men's hearts failing them for fear of what is coming upon this earth. And we have that. We've got a tsunami of fear that has just overwhelmed the world. It's always been there, but somehow the world that you and I are living in, the reality of which we're aware of, man, I tell you, it's, you hear it and you smell it all the day. And so when I look at this particular text and I see that actually God desired relationship. You look at Enoch, for example, and it is described of Enoch that he walked with God and, and then he was not because God took him. And then you read in Hebrews and you'll discover that the book of Hebrews says exactly why God took him. It was because of the relationship expression that God and Enoch had. It was close. And so there was commitment. You can't have a relationship with no commitment. Relationship breaks when there's no commitment. And so when you look at the body of Christ and you look at what it is that you and I are called to be and do, is we call to conform to the image of Christ. And so the only way that that can happen is if we live our lives in the space of community. And so Paul writes some very interesting things because I'm wanting to address this morning forgiveness and the priority of connection. Forgiveness and the priority of connection. Is there a connection between forgiveness and connection? Well, absolutely. Because relationships have a tendency or have a possibility of harm being done to people who are involved in that relationship. And so when you talk about forgiveness in a community, and the reason why it's there is because people have been disappointed. There's unmet expectations. And so people end up getting hurt. And so it happens in any relationship. It happens in marriage. It happens with brothers and sisters. It happens with moms and dads. It happens with Wherever there's connection, work environment, it's very possible. And so Adam and Eve get exiled, and so now they find their place in this spot of loneliness, but also it's a world of competition, because now God says to them, well, actually, now you're going to have to go and work. And so what is work? Well, work is performance. And in our Western culture, especially where you subscribe to capitalism, well, of course, you know that actually there is competition out there. The journey that we have called life you go along this path of life, and yes, as Helen brought that word this morning, we're going to pick up the blackjacks, and we're going to get everything else that hooks itself in on us. And that could be a good reason, because we're pioneering something, and that's not bad, but also there could be a distraction. We might just see, oh, the arrow pointing here, and there sounds like some good things happening here, and so you're alert off track, and now you get a whole lot of stuff that's hooked onto you that isn't helpful. And so the world is a place where there's going to be competition. The world is designed for you to fail. Incredible, isn't it? The world is designed for you just to disappoint. <laughs> and that's why God sent Jesus, is to bring about a reconciliation of relationship to God, Father God. And that's why Jesus came. And the only way that you and I can reconcile to the Father is, number one, through asking him to forgive us of our sin of not recognizing him to be who he is, not recognizing his lordship, not recognizing that Jesus actually died on a cross and paid a price for me, 
Not recognizing all of what it is. We walked according to the course of this world and it was a dark place and we were full of selfishness and then we come to that place of realization. We come to that moment where we are born again and our spirit is regenerated and it's made alive to God and we have that connection of relationship to God. But oh my goodness, <laughs> having now this perfect relationship, we restored, we realize, oh, I've been forgiven so there's no more no guilt and, and all of those things that came out with Adam and Eve, we do find that we actually can live ahead of them and above them. Um, but then we do find that we disappoint God. In other words, we sin. We miss the mark. And then God says, all right, I tell you what, this is the arrangement. If you confess that sin, then I'm faithful and just to forgive you of that sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And we feel that forgiveness. It literally washes over us. And we realize we're not disqualified from his presence. And then we sin again. And then he says, well, I tell you what, this is the deal. You can come boldly into my company. You can come boldly into my presence. Because there is grace. And so we've got this relationship where God and us, we keep connecting. But we're living in an imperfect world. We still have imperfections around about us. And we still happen to make decisions that are not helpful. And we still find ourselves in that place of needing to forgive. Needing to forgive. And so this connection of community, how do I conform to the image of Christ? Community. It's me coming in and belonging. It's me coming in and saying, well, I'm not here just for the benefits of the relationship. I'm here to really be committed. I'm here. You know, my arm, you know, it doesn't just dangle next to me. There's a service kind of connection. It serves me. It's the incredible thing about just parts of our body. The rest of my body hopefully recognizes that this is my left hand. And my right hand needs to recognize that it can do things that my left hand doesn't do because it's more trained because I'm right-handed. And so if there was a competition between the two of them, I would have a problem. And so that's equally true for ourselves because all of you, and when you start reading through the scriptures, and Paul just uses this very simple analogy, he simply says to the community, to the church, you know what, you just like a human body. There's some parts of you that you don't see. Nadine made reference to the lung. We don't see the lung, but my goodness, if we didn't have them, we wouldn't be here. He says, so you don't see those parts, but do you know that they're probably more can I say vital to the body? That's why they're called vital organs. Then, you know, I can do without my hand, I guess. It does make me dysfunctional, but nevertheless, I need my heart and my, my, my kidneys. And I, I need those things that are described as being vital. But then he just says, generally, you know, the ear can't say to the eye, well, I'm not as attractive as you, so therefore I can't be as important when you and I both know that we actually need our ears. But the funny thing is, if I was dating Nadine, and I said to her, gee, you know, you really have lovely ears. I don't know that it would have been as appealing as me saying, oh, I love your eyes. Gee, your eyes are really great, you know. Can we take a selfie? I just want to get your ear in there, you know. <laughs> but yet they're both important, the eyes and the ears. And so when you read through the scriptures, you realize that that's actually what God wants to have filtered through us. He wants us to be able to trust one another. He wants us to be able to know that you're not going to let the side down. So when there is a gathering, when there is a commitment, and when there is service, hey, I'm there because I'm committed. I'm wanting to conform to the image of Christ. Jesus was committed to the cross. He did it willingly. 
And so where there is that expression of Christ-likeness in us, well, then we start to see a healthy community. And we start to see all of the things that God has deposited in this community, those redemptive gifts over the past 21, 22 years, are actually beginning to grow. There's a repotting that's taking place. I was with the team of worshipers yesterday, and what I did was I threw up one of Helen's fancy flower pots, and it shattered on the floor. How many of you have repotted a plant? Okay, get your hands dirty. It might not have been as dramatic as what I did. <laughs> but the truth is, is that God's wanting to expand you. He's wanting to realize, help you realize, in fact, I'm not just who I am. No, 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 actually, I'm maturing. I'm going into another season. I heard a moment ago, I don't know if it was your roof, I think it was, where there just seemed to be some creaking and some crackling, and maybe it's because there's a climate change outside as the day begins to warm up, and so there's an impact. It begins to affect things around it. There's a climate change in this church. There's, a, there's The watermark of the presence of God is beginning to rise. COVID was a big punctuation mark in the world's history, and you want to know something? God is still in charge. But he says to the church, whatsoever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. In other words, there's an element of control that he gives to the congregation, that he gives to you. And then he says, whatsoever you loose in heaven is going to be loosed down on here. I want to tell you, that would suggest to me that there is control that I have. And Jesus speaks to his disciples and he says to listen, all authority has been given to me. But guess what? I'm giving it to you. That would suggest control. And so there's this maturing, there's this expansion that's taking place in the church, and you are included. How many of you love revival? Yeah, well, where are the books? Put your heads together. Let's talk about revival. Have that conversation. Have the conversation about business. Have it about children. Have it about theology. Let there just be fire started in this congregation. And that's what I be. see. Every one of those things that I've, begin, I've mentioned, there's a little fire that's starting. And it's going to turn into a bonfire. And it's literally going to go out and set ablaze people's hearts. Because you're going to say something that's going to impact them and change their life, but change the world. The church is not weak. God never designed a weak church. God never designed a church to be one degree off. God designed a church to be 100% plumb line, truthful, not neutral. That's what we've got to look forward to. It's a church that's full of power. A church that's relevant, not hiding away. That's not what Jesus wanted to do. Jesus never hid. He withdrew to be empowered. So the church will withdraw into places of fasting and seeking the Lord. But my goodness, never to withdraw, not to be vocal. God needs the voice of the church. You've got the day of Pentecost, an incredible moment. So you speak about the great commandment. Jesus did everything to break down racial barriers. And the world narratives are doing everything to build them up again. What about the Great Commission? That's the one that's been out there for a while. Great commission that we'd be a going people willing to go to support and to see people be made disciples of. But what about the great infilling, the presence of the Holy Spirit? Why is that suddenly pushed back? No, 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 we can't. You can't bring that into the church. And everyone has an argument, not everyone, because there's some people that embrace it fully. When it happens, what does Peter do? Because there's questions being asked. Well, what does this mean? 
Peter stands up. He says, you want to know what this means? Let me tell you. I've got the answer. Where do you think the answer resides? It resides in you. We have the answer for the world today. So when I look at all of this and I just realize that the action of community is a real thing, there is an inconvenience about being disconnected. Huge inconvenience. If I was to lose my hand, I'm picking on my left hand right now, but if it was just to lie there, I might be in the presence and the company of the church, but in actual fact, I am dead to them because I'm having no influence on them, outside of the fact that I might begin to smell after a few days. And yet that's what people do. I picked a rose yesterday. It's somewhere. Uh, I went to the rose garden. You been to the rose garden? That's normally what happens. The locals don't go to the rose garden. I thought I'd go to this beautiful English country garden. And it didn't quite fit its name. <laughs> it did have a rose bush. <laughs> so I remember picking it. And it was a pretty rose. It was yellow, but it had blemishes of red or just smudges of red on it. And I thought, oh, that's cool. Um, <clears throat> I was going to give it to Nadine, but I decided I'd keep it rather as an illustration for this morning. But one of the things that I had to do to remove it from its connection was I had to pick it. It actually didn't have hands to say stop. It didn't have a voice to say, whoa, you can't do that. It didn't have legs to run away. It actually was just there, and I picked it off. I broke it off. Literally 48 hours later, almost to the watch, when I look at that rose, it's actually with it. It's even lost its fragrance. It doesn't look anything like it did when it was connected. It had no choice in the matter. I disconnected it from its life source. But you and I, we have a choice. We can disconnect from the life source because we've got these things called legs and we've got hands and so we can somehow dismantle ourselves from the connection. And there's normally a reason for it. And the reason why we connect is because either it's through arrogance, but most of the time it's because we're offended. And so what we'll do is it, we'll just disconnect. And honestly, with the immediate effect, you start to lose the life source. And what you'll do is you'll end up like my hand. You might be near Jesus, but you're not connected to his body. And you know what your conversation will be? Oh, I love, I love Jesus. No, 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 it's impossible. You can't love Jesus and hate the body of Christ. You can't love Jesus and have bad things to say about the body of Christ. It just doesn't work. Because your life as a Christian only grows when you're connected to the body. When you've disconnected, there's an inconvenience because now you no longer draw the life source from the community. You basically begin to depend on yourself and you die. All because of unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is like a those of you in the front row, you, you can see I, I've got this, this black bag. It's not meant to look attractive. And I've got it attached to my leg. And it's actually encumbered me quite a bit as I've preached this morning because I've been aware of it. And I've been aware that actually, you know what, I could fall off this platform, I could trip. And wherever I go, if I was to truly walk about with this thing, as attached as it is to me, people would wonder, what on earth is he walking around with that stuff? I mean, I even foxed Ant. I mean, Ant thought, geez, what's this guy done? He's came up to help me. But in actual fact, so I can wear this thing, actually, all different ways. But it's with me. It's called unforgiveness. As long as I've got it, I'm separated from the community. As long as I have it, I'm not drawing any life source from the community at all. In fact, I'm just like that right hand that's lying on the floor over there, and I'm beginning to smell. 
And you know, the tragedy is, is that as long as I keep this with me, the more ugly I become. Because that's what unforgiveness does. And so we've got a moment in scripture where Jesus is actually talking about relationships. And he's also talking about power as well. And then at the end of it all, Jesus has a question to answer from Peter. And Peter says to him, so Jesus, um, when it comes to forgiveness, how many times must I forgive my brother? Jesus answers this way. and I'm going to get it to you now. I'm going to read it to you. He says, you have to forgive 70 times 7. So, of course, automatically he begins to do the sums and he comes up with a figure of around 490, say 500 times, so 491, no more forgiveness. That's it. You, you over, I've been counting. Here. And that's what actually happens because if you think about it, Paul was on when he spoke about don't keep a list of wrongs done in 1 Corinthians 13. That would suggest that some of the Corinthians were keeping a list of wrongs done. And so they had the list. However they were carrying it, they had the list. In fact, sometimes they would take it and they would put it and they would just love it. Their unforgiveness, their hurt. Just love it. You know, and when you see someone holding a baby, it's like, oh, let's have a look. Oh. It's not as pretty as I imagined it to be because, in fact, unforgiveness is never pretty. And when you have a look and it's revealed, because they want you to look at it. They want you to know that, oh, they're carrying a hurt. And you might think I'm being insensitive here. Well, Jesus is the one that spoke these words. You don't just forgive once. And so what happens is he, he gives an illustration. He says, you know, there was a man and um, he owned 10,000 talents. And so the ruler came in and said, you owe me 10,000 talents, which effectively amounts to, in today's currency, about $1 billion. And he says, um, what are you going to do about it? He says, no, 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 I'll pay you back. $1 billion, you'll never be able to pay me back. So I tell you what, I'm going to put you in jail and I'm going to sell your wife and your children. I mean, that's terrible. And he pleaded and he begged and he said, no, you can't do that to me, please. And so the judge actually, or this ruler, actually has sympathy. And he says, fine, okay. Forget it then. We just wipe it clean. The guy walks out and he comes across one of his fellow servants, or one of his fellow workers, who owes him just 100 pounds, 100 pounds sterling. And he says, you know what? You pay that back to me. He's just been forgiven a billion dollars. And this guy goes him 100 pounds. And he's saying, no, no, no throttles him and says you pay me back the guy can't pay him back and he has him put in jail so now his mates hear about this and they go to the 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 master and they say hey did you see hear what happens so of course the master calls him in and says now you will go to jail it's interesting isn't it that sometimes we forget that we've been forgiven we forget that oh my goodness we've been forgiven which allows us access into eternity because of what Jesus did. So every time there was a, a sacrifice in the Bible, it was really pointing to the promise of Jesus and the cross. It was really pointing to the promise of an entry of mankind back into relationship with God. Every time they had a sacrifice, it was pointing to the Lamb of God that was slain. He was innocent. He went to the cross willingly, and he did it for you and I. And you know what? In the midst of that moment, he looked about him, and there the Romans were. They were casting lots for the clothes. There was his mother, and there was the scribes and the Pharisees, and they were, they were bitter. They were hard. They were just scoffing at him. 
king of the Jews, right. And you know what he says? The greatest expression of love. He looks down and he says, Father, forgive them. Because they don't know what they do. Isn't that incredible? There's a moment, and I'll bring this to a close, where Joshua is told, and he's told by God, you need to go out and possess the land. And so you have, they're up for it. And so Judah goes out, and they all go out, and you've got this, you know, real competition out there for land, and they're destroying, fulfilling the promise of possessing the land. And then they come back and they say, you know what, we couldn't possess all the land. And why is that? Well, you know, the ones in the valley, they've got iron chariots. And so what have you done? No, we've, we've just kept them there. Just kept the iron chariots. But I told you to possess the land. And so as a result of keeping the iron chariots, the angel of the Lord comes to them and says, you know, because you've done that, I tell you what, these people are going to be a thorn in your side. And tragically today, that's what unforgiveness is. It's a thorn in your side. And so you'll leak all vision that God wants you to have. You know what it'll do? It'll resist you from walking. You're always going to be mindful of it. And so when you go for dinner to someone's house, you're going to put it on the table and everybody's going to say, oh, there we go again. Now we know what we're going to listen to tonight. And you're sitting there. You're wanting everyone to notice it, even under candlelights. At some point between desserts and the main meal, you're going to come out with your, your mess. And when your mess becomes your message, I want to tell you, you've become stagnant. And this morning, I honestly feel that God doesn't want you to be stagnant. God wants you to be whole. doesn't want you to walk around with something that's attached to you, that wherever you go, it goes. And people have noticed it. But you, I tell you, you won't detach yourself from it. But you know what it's doing? It's robbing you of walking into the inheritance that God has for you. And every single one of you has an inheritance in him. But if you're hanging on to your inheritance, I have to tell you, you're going to be shortcut, short-circuited, and it's not going to happen. And so that's what we had to do to, with you this morning, is just to make you aware of it. You've got to get rid of this thing. And the silliness of the illustration, hopefully you're going to remember, because it's easy to fall into a snare and a trap. I'll finish off with this, that there was a, there's an account in Scripture given. It happens also to be in Judges chapter 1, where it speaks about um, stupid forgiveness. Unforgiveness. <laughs> it says there was a king called Adonai Bezek. He was known as the Lord of Lightning. And uh, what happens is Judah goes out and, and captures him. and They chop off his thumbs and his big toes. And so now you can imagine how helpless you are as a king when you've got no big toes and no thumb. Because even if you escape, you're not going to run very fast or very far. You know, there comes the king with no toes, you know. Because one of the things about not having a big toe is that you lose your balance. Here's a surf story for you. I had a good friend of mine who was competitive. He was outstanding. And one afternoon his dad said, you've got to mow the lawn before you go surfing. And he cut off his big toe. <laughs> It wasn't funny. But anyway, what happened was he couldn't surf anymore. I mean, he did everything. He used to surf with a booty on just to give him the stability of what a big toe had brought to the sport. And he just couldn't. He just lost his balance. He had to give up surfing. And he was only like 16. It was sad. But you can't hold a weapon if you don't have a thumb. Just imagine it. Not much you can do just with four fingers. 
And in those days, you needed a weapon, or at least you needed a shield, or you need something to be able to throw. You're not going to throw as far as a person who has a thumb. And so actually, his words, Adonai Bezek, is like, you know what? I did this to 70 kings, and my reputation preceded me. I was hoping that it would put the fear in every other king. And he said, now, look at me. I'm having to pick up the scraps that fall off the table of the kings that I hated. He died, obviously, not because of his injuries, but he died because I think he was just a bad person. And, you know, he had enemies. But for me, again, it just picks, it's just a picture of, I don't want the church to be running without thumbs and without big toes. And No, 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 God wants us to be whole, but he wants us to be connected. He wants us to be linked in. A relationship takes hard work. A relationship takes people. And a relationship takes lots of grace. But there is no place, there is no place for us to hold on to unforgiveness. So let's pray. Could we do that? Why don't you stand with me and we'll bring this. Yeah, you can't do that. All right. Let's pray. Father, we, we cannot live our lives with hate in our hearts. Forgiveness has to do with the decision. It is not first and foremost just an emotion. Father, when we forgive, we're able to walk a lot freely. We're able to walk into the destiny that you have for us. All of those things that you're calling this church to be and do. And you've called these people to, to be here and to be linked in. But never just to be detached. Because when you're detached, there's an inconvenience. There's no possibility of ever drawing from the life source. And so, Father, we don't want to have a leash that keeps holding us back from running the race. Whether it's a 100-meter sprint and in a moment you're saying the king's business requires haste and we need to get there quickly. Well, we're not going to get there quickly if we have a leash. And if there's a marathon, Father, and you're calling us to just commit and to persevere and to hang in, it's that much more difficult when we're carrying a weight. And so, Father, you've called us to both, to run a race and also to run a marathon. And so at this time, Father, would you just clear our hearts of that resentment, that hurt that we've rehearsed and we've nursed. And we've, we, people see us coming and they, they just don't want to be with us because of the stench that we bring into the conversation. Father, would you seal our lips where we ourselves have hurt and where we just feel we need, we, need, we need to get it off our chest. But actually with it comes bitterness. With it comes unforgiveness. The testimony, however, of yes, that was true of me. But I can describe to you the miracle of release when I felt forgiven and when I released them. You see, because vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. And when you have that happen, you'll know I'm free. And so while you may describe your experience, it now comes as a testimony of God's goodness and it comes as a solution. It doesn't come as just heaping more coals on a fire. 
So, Father God, we ask now for just there to be that massive adjustment as we deliberately move away and we unhitch those hooks that keep us back. But, Father, I pray that there truly would be a fresh release of your presence, a watering of the seeds that have been sown today as the word of God is preached and as worship is just ascending out of this place to your throne. Let people grow. Let people grow, Father in what it is that you've called them to. No chains, Father, no hindrances, just freedom in you as they cling to that plumb line of truth. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thanks, Amen.